0: Good morning uh, to all of you and thank you uh, for being here today. It's very appropriate, I guess, to be talking about the parables of Jesus and especially the one we're going to look at this morning in light of the uh, violence and uh, hatred and uh, bigotry that is racking our country. It's uh, absolutely shocking that in this time of uh, history of our country that we should be seeing this kind of evil. Uh, raising its head and I hope that uh, as the church of Jesus Christ that each one of you will examine your hearts and recognize that this kind of evil, this kind of uh, racism and hatred that we're seeing uh, is completely antithetical to Christianity. Uh, Jesus Christ was a Jew, he was a man of color, uh, he was poor, uh, he was uh, living in a land surrounded by other people of color and for uh, people in our country to call themselves christians and then come out and and uh, speak the way they do is uh, it's reprehensible and so uh, let's pray that god will heal our land and pay particular attention to the parable that we're going to read in a moment because uh, it is exactly the story of what's going on in our world today, both here at home and also abroad. So if you have your uh, scriptures with you, I invite you to take them out and look at Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, that's alright. Uh, we encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, but uh, if you are here today and you don't have one, it's printed in your bulletin, you'll see it all there uh, in a popular version. And so you can uh, uh, read along with us. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 24 and read the section on this parable. Then we'll drop down to verse 36. Uh, This is one of the few parables uh, that Jesus actually explained uh, and giving us a pattern of how to understand them. So let's start in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat among them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came and said to him, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus told us in Matthew 13, in the, in the first part of, of these parables on the wheat and weeds and growth and seed, He told us that this particular parable, the one we read a few weeks ago about the weeds, or the wheat excuse me, uh, the seeds, and casting them by the wayside, by the road is the key to understanding all parables. And if you don't understand that parable, the one we looked at a few weeks ago, for several weeks. Jesus said you won't understand any of the rest of them. This one also is a key parable. And why I think the disciples asked him to explain it and why I think he did explain it. It's one of only a couple that he does explain. And what he tells us in the first one about the sower sowing the seed by the road is that the kingdom, listen carefully because this is Christ crucial to understanding Christianity if you're a Christian if you're a follower of Jesus and this does not fit into your thinking then you're completely out of line with Christ himself the key to understanding the kingdom of God is that it is not going to be a warrior it's not going to be armies it's not going to be political power it's not going to be a military victory it's going to be a farmer Sowing seeds, the seed being the Word of God. It's going to be the slow, often uh, uh, frustrating, time-consuming growth of agriculture, not political victory, military victory, immediate power. It's not going to be that. It's going to be depending on the sovereignty of God, depending on God to send the rain, send the good weather, the sunshine. Let us see what's happening. That's how we're going to see the kingdom coming in our world. Not through political power. Not through military victory. And in order to to last, in order to stay in that long, slow march of time, agricultural growth that God is telling us the kingdom is like this, you're going to need to build your life on the rock, on Jesus Christ, on His Word. That's what we looked at last week. Something's got to be able to stand against all the uh, vagaries of life, the storms that come against us. Whether it's international terrorism or crazy people in leadership or uh, hatred and bigotry, whatever it is in our land, or our own sins, our own selfishness, our own biases, whatever those are, as they crash against uh, the life that we have built, what is going to support, what is going to hold you in place? And Jesus told the parable of the sand and the rock and building your house, your life upon that rock, as being the only thing that will bear up. Because someday your health will fail you. Someday your body will betray you. Someday uh, you may find yourself without resources, without money. Someday uh, you may have your family uh, come apart. We can't guarantee our kids could go off the rails. A husband, a wife, whatever could happen. We could find ourselves in exigencies of life that are tearing us apart. We need our house built upon rock. And then in this parable, in this short parable, Jesus actually does something. It's pure literary genius. Jesus takes, with this little parable, and He does something that I'm going to show you in a minute, and I I hope it does to you what it has done to me. He does in a few verses the whole sweep of historical redemptive history in one small and familiar parable. He shows the entire sweep of the history of mankind and at a sub-level, a micro-level, the sweep of our lives, individually, corporately as the church. Listen to what Dr. Ian Campbell said in his commentary. It's really quite good. The comparisons that Jesus makes are skillful and simple. The message is that in the experience of the kingdom of God in the world, listen, The children of God and the children of the devil coexist without separation until the end of the world comes. Then the angels will gather in the harvest and separate those who belong to Christ from those who belong to the devil. Although the kingdom has come already in the past with the coming of Christ, the full expression of its reality will be seen at the consummation of history. Then the children of God, the righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now listen, the kingdom is both present where two seeds can only be distinguished from one another and future when they will be separated. So what Dr. Campbell is saying is that the Kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil are going to be coexisting throughout history until the end of the age when Jesus returns to the earth and gathers all people up to Himself and separates the wheat and the chaff, the sheep and the goats. All of those stories of separation He will all be done at the end of the age. And so what He's telling us is that we have to be prepared as the people of God, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have got to be prepared to live in tension, live in conflict, live in opposition. But in a, in a certain way, in a righteous way, in a godly way, honoring the Lord and His commandments. And we're going to look at that in a second. So he, here's, what, here's what we want to do. We're going to look at the kingdom that has come, the kingdom that is continuing, and the kingdom that will come. Or what I've told you in the past, if you wanted to uh, tell somebody tells you, asks you what is the Bible about? You can do it in three words. What is the Bible about? Somebody doesn't know anything about the Bible and they just ask, What is the Bible about? Here's what you can tell them it's about creation, chaos, and recreation. That's what it's about. Creation, chaos, and recreation. And so what is the Bible about in terms of what I'm talking about. How is Jesus capturing the sweep of history? He's talking about the kingdom that has come, the kingdom that is continuing, and the kingdom that will come. What Richard Pratt calls the inauguration of the kingdom, the continuation of the kingdom, and the consummation of the kingdom. And folks, listen to me. If you plug this in, if you get this down into your heart it will make all the difference in the world in how you live right now. People will say, wow, you're different. What is different about you? Well, it's because the kingdom has come. The kingdom is continuing. And the kingdom will come. That's what makes us different. That's what gives us hope. So let's look at it. The kingdom has come. The inauguration. This is Jesus explains it in verses 37 and and following. Look at it. The one who sows good seed is the Son of Man. Now listen, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. What is Jesus doing with this? just these simple words? What has He done? He has reached back. If you come to Theology Night, if you come to our Monday Night Theology class, I've said this a dozen times, and some of you that have been there will, will see it. I'm, I'm, I'm just repeating what I've said. He reaches back and he, he goes to the very beginning, to Genesis, to the kingdom creation, the creation of the garden. In Genesis chapter 2 it says this, listen, and see, you'll see Jesus, you'll just put it all together. The Lord God planted a garden in the east of Eden and He placed the man there. Jesus is not saying anything new. He's just going back to Genesis chapter 2. And He's just explaining to you, God originally created a kingdom with a temple. The temple was the garden. And the people were in in the temple worshiping God. That's where He met with them in His kingdom, in the temple. And they would walk together in the cool of the day. The great king, the creator king, and His little kings and queens, His sub-kings, the stewards that He put over His creation. And He says, Now, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with images of Me. Fill the earth with images that look just like Me cover the earth, leave Eden, leave the garden, move out into the chaos, the tohu Bohu, the chaos, the formless and void. Move out into that world and take dominion over the earth. But you know the story. Who comes in Genesis chapter 3? The evil one, the devil, the serpent, Nehesh. The serpent comes and he sows his evil seed. And from then on you see humanity separated. And so you have chaos in the garden. You have the creation undone and uncreation. And God in his grace and in his mercy he steps back in and he starts a recreation. With Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he says, Look, look at the stars. Look at the sand of the sea. Do you see how many there are? That's what your children are going to be like. Do you hear Jesus? The children of the King. Being sown. The, the sower. Sowing the kingdom. Filled with these seeds. These, these, these children of Abraham. These children of the faithful follower. The faithful one. The father of the faithful. And of course, chaos ensues. The people find themselves in the land of Egypt. God sends Moses. He brings them out of the land of Egypt. And listen to what the psalmist said. And listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said. Talking of God speaking. You brought the vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. The vine. You planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root. It filled the land. The promised land. Jeremiah says, speaking for God, I planted you a choice vine completely, listen, of pure seed. Completely of pure seed. Amazing. And chaos ensues. And God again, in His grace and in His mercy, recreates the kingdom to you to you this day in the city of Bethlehem is born a king. Christ the Lord. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, when is the kingdom coming? Power, victory, military, armies. When is the kingdom coming? And Jesus said this, listen. The kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed, like you've just described. Not coming like that. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or oh, there, there it is. Behold, Jesus said this, behold, the kingdom of God is within you, or a better translation is, already arrived. It's among you. It's standing here. (laughs) The King has come. The kingdom is here now. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you believe? Of course, they refused to believe. And even his disciples are confused. And so what does Jesus do? He has a supper with them. And then after they finish breaking bread and drinking wine, they leave and they pass through the eastern gate and head down into the valley of uh, the Kidron Valley to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they leave the city, Jesus turns and looks back at the walls of the ancient city of Jerusalem. And guess what was carved in huge relief on those walls? A vine. A vine carved into the walls. Because Israel was the vine. They were the planting of God's kingdom. And Jesus turns and He looks up at the vine and He says to His disciples, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. I'm the kingdom. I have come. Will you trust me? The church, folks, today we are the living, breathing body of Christ. There is no other body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the living stones. We are the planting of the Lord. And it is high time that we acted like it, and that we looked like it. The reason why nobody knows the difference between Christians is because we're just as angry, we're just as biased, we're just as bigoted, we're just as filled with fury and hatred as anybody else. And don't kid yourself, we are all that way. We have to fight it. It has not come natural to us to just be in love with everybody. We segment and segregate ourselves, even around our theology. How many people have you met and you say, I'm a Christian, what kind of Christian are you? Oh, well, I'm a Reformed, I am a Calvinist, I'm a a uh, pre-millennial, amillennial, post-dispensational, hyphen, 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 then Christian, Right? That's how we like to define ourselves, hyphenated Christianity. And we cloister and combine ourselves around things as wonderful as theology. I love, made my, my life theology. But when that defines you, then you end up finding yourself uh, outside the rest of the body of Christ. Jesus came and planted a new humanity. People that are supposed to love one another for His sake. Because in them is that image of God. They recognize in each other the same spirit. Regardless of the color of our skin or our nationality, we are the people of God. And we need to act like it and trust Him. What about the continuation? He warns us of several things, but. Primarily, listen, there's three things I want to point out. But what he warns us during the continuation, this is so important. First, the reality of conflict. We won't talk too much about that. A warning against judgmentalism, and we'll define that. And then finally, a warning of the impending judgment. And this is something that I think we need to to talk about briefly this morning. The reality of conflict. Look at 38 uh, and following after that. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The kingdom of God is planted in the world. But it doesn't go unopposed. It's a war zone. We are living in the, the trenches. Jesus told us that we are to be prepared for trouble and tribulation the Apostle Paul told us to put on the armor of God and unfortunately in 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 our country we have te- we've tended to take off the armor and just settle down into comfortable middle-class or upper-middle-class life and it's very difficult to identify living in the West living in the prosperity that we enjoy which nothing wrong with that we live in a land lit- listen folks literally Flowing with milk and honey. But we're very, very susceptible to become complacent about the suffering that we see around us and about opposition. We can hardly relate to it. We talked about that in our, our series on First Peter. The Apostle Paul said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, authorities, rulers, cosmic forces, spiritual hosts, in the heavenly places there is a battle going on however however please listen satan is not after you he could care less about you his whole goal from the beginning the entire storyline of the bible satan was interested in one thing and one thing only and that is in vandalizing Corrupting and destroying God's reputation to uh, impugn His glory. Didn't you sow good seed? That's what the the servants asked. Didn't you sow good seed? Doesn't that sound familiar? Did God really say? Did God really say? Oh, you won't die. You won't die. This has been the problem. How many people? I don't know if you've had this. I've had it happen many times. I'm sure you have too. Here's the question that comes all the time. Oh, you're a Christian. Really? How can you say there is a good God when there's so much evil in the world? How can you say that? How can you even suggest that God is good? How could God allow so much evil in the world? Did God really say? You won't die. Don't listen to Him. Don't trust Him. You can't trust Him. He's not reliable. Don't put your life in His hands. I mean, look around you. Look, there's a tree right there. Isn't it good? And and they looked at the tree, and you know what? It was a good tree. The tree in the garden was good. God had already called everything in the garden, everything in His creation, good. Nothing wrong with the tree. God Himself has knowledge of good and evil. So there's nothing wrong with the tree. The tree in and of itself was a fine tree, a beautiful tree. In fact, they recognized it. Hey, it looks like a good tree. It's good. It's got good fruit on it. But Satan had impugned the reputation of God and brought into their mind the doubt that God can't be trusted. And that is the problem we have. Do we really trust Him? He slandered the Lord. And so when Satan comes and starts to oppose us, it's not about us. Don't make it about you. We are here as representatives of our great King. And this, the responsibility of that and love for our Savior should move us along in our pursuit of righteousness. Okay? What about the warning against judgmentalism? Look at verse 28 and following. The servants say, should we gather up the uh, wheat? Should we gather up the, the, uh, uh, the weeds and pull them out while the wheat is growing? And the uh, farmer says, no, no, don't root them up uh, because you might root up the others. And this is because, in, and, and the Greek uses a very interesting word. It calls the tares. In some of your uh, translation, it says the wheat and tares. Some of them say wheat and weeds. The word for weeds is zazania. Zazania. And it's a, it's a weed. It's a noxious weed, it's found all over the world, but very much in the Middle East. And this weed looks just like wheat when it's growing up. So while it's young and tender and growing, you can't distinguish it from the wheat. Okay, but when it does get large enough to where you can distinguish, and it's starting to put out the buds and all that, by then... The roots have, have all grown together. Any of you that have done gardening, you know how the roots grow together in your plants and stuff. And so if you went through and very carefully even t- pulled up one, you damage the roots of the other. So the farmer wisely says, no, no, let them grow together until the harvest. Then we'll pull everything up, you see. And then at that time, we can separate the, uh, the good wheat from the zizania." Listen to what Dr. Kistemaker said. It's a little commentary that I've been using. He was one of my professors at RTS. And Dr. Kistemaker said this. The servants, listen. The servants reflect the impatient mood of many Christians. Under the banner of maintaining purity in the church, zealous believers have caused untold damage by passing judgment on fellow Christians by cutting them off from the church. Untold damage from being judgmental. That does not mean that we can't judge truth. You remember what Dr. Messer said a few weeks ago? We can pass judgments on what is true and what is false. But when you step in and you start moving into the place of God and judging another person's heart and motives... Now you've crossed the line. Dr. Franz said this in his commentary. The parable warns us that the ultimate test is not, listen carefully, is not present appearances but in the final judgment. Until then, disciples, that would be us, must be patient and not expect to put everyone into neat compartments. The church on earth is always a mixed church community, how many of you, let me ask you an honest question, how many of you would like other people to judge you by a snapshot of your life, a little snapshot in time, let's just pick, let's just pick a point in time and take a snapshot of your life and judge you on that, how would you like that, I'll, I'll, I'll go better, let's take ten snapshots, ten of them. And line them up and judge you by those 10. Who would want that? You know what? I don't want to be judged by any snapshots. I don't even want to be judged by the video. Right? I don't want any of it. I want to go into the judgment and fall on my knees and cry out for mercy and point to my lawyer. Talk to him talk to my advocate talk to the one whose blood cries out for me from the ground listen to him if we if we were to take this in folks and really believe this and move into our lives this way we could truly love people and not be judging them by appearances who wants to be judged by a snapshot This is a stern warning against condemning somebody. Somebody may be going through a hard time. We call them backsliders. Have you ever heard of that? Backsliders? Okay. Well, I've backslidden like this morning. I don't want anybody to take my picture this morning and judge me according to that. I want you to judge me according to right now how good I look. Right? But God sees everything. He's looking at the whole thing. And he's saying, I'll take all of it and I will take it in because I love you and I will cover the whole thing with the video of my son and his life and love for you. And that brings us to this point, the, the warning of impending judgment. Ju- don't, don't judge, but we also need to warn people of the impending judgment. I was looking at the Gospel Coalition. I don't know if any of you look at the Gospel Coalition website, but I was looking at it yesterday. Uh, because I saw something pop up on my Facebook feed while I was working on my sermon. See, I multitask. So I'm working on the sermon. I'm watching Facebook. I'm looking at uh, video. I'm watching, you know, movies, cartoons, things like that. Just, I can do all kinds of things. But anyway, I see this thing pop up, and I'm working on my sermon, and it, and it fit perfectly. And it was uh, a, a video, uh, a clip, by this uh, comedian. Uh, some of you are not a comedian. He's a magician. Do you know who Penn and Tiller are? Penn Jillette and Tiller, the guys in Las Vegas, the, the comedy team, they were interviewing him and he says this, listen, I do not respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and this guy's an atheist, by the way, he's not a believer. Listen, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell... Uh, And people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. Listen, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? How much do you have to hate somebody to tell them, oh, don't worry, that train that's coming and you're standing in the middle of the track, it won't hit you. It's going to leave the tracks and go around you. How much do you have to hate somebody? And this is coming from a person who says he doesn't believe. What this man is saying to us is, if you believe it, live like it. The question is this, and this is the last thing I'll say. How in the world... Are we, as the people of God, the people of Christ the King here at our church, how are we going to move out into the world and actually tell people about the impending judgment and not sound judgmental, not sound angry, not sound cruel, not sound kooky? (laughs) Have you met some of the kooky Christians? You know, with the cardboard, you know, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. What did they used to say, Gary? Turn or... What what was that saying? Burn or... Turn or burn? Is that what we used to say? Turn or burn. How can we do it? Well, he tells us as well. The kingdom of God will come. The consummation of the kingdom. The righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. Verse 43. He who has ears to hear, let him... There's a deep longing, folks, in everybody's heart. This is one of the things we talk about in the journey, by the way. A little plug for the journey. We talk about the story of glory. That mankind, all of us, were created to bear, to be wearing the image of God. To be bearing that image. And through our sin, through our rebellion, through our shaking our fist at God and telling Him no, that glory, that image was distorted. Not lost, but disfigured and distorted. There's a deep longing. How do we get that back? How do we shine with the righteousness like the sun? How do you do it? And the Apostle Paul helps us. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the story in this one parable, the sweep of historical redemptive history is simply this. We had the image of God. We lost that image. And it has to be recreated, folks, in each one of us. Recreated. Reborn. Born again. In each of us. Jesus took on our humanity. He clothed Himself. He veiled he didn't do away with His glory. He veiled His glory so that it was enclosed, encapsulated in frail humanity. And when He did decide to let it crack and open up, it blazed out on the Mount of Transfiguration and caused His three disciples to fall on the ground and worship Him. He veiled His glory. Why? so that He could go to the cross, live the life that we should have lived, die the death we should have died, and be raised again, so that those who trust in Him can be planted, folks, planted in this world, as wheat that will bring forth fruit, the fruit of the harvest. Will you trust Him? A new humanity. And I hope we will, especially now, as our world is being wracked with these horrors. Uh, let us do that, I pray. Um, let's pray. Father, um, we love you and thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Um, our hearts are broken because of the, the terrors that are happening around our world. In, in many places, believers, uh, our own brothers and sisters in Christ being uh, m- murdered and martyred, uh, and even here uh, in our own country. Hatred and anger that is uh, almost beyond belief. Please help us, Father. Help us to be the people of God in the way that you want us to. And to serve you and to serve our world through Christ our Lord. Amen.